Hallelujah. Praise God. <clears throat> when there's fewer of us in here, it means we've got to be louder. Praise God. So <clears throat> it's too quiet tonight. Way, way, way too quiet tonight. <laughs> so, amen. So that means that if you got, I mean, Brother Chris right here has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven rows. He's got seven rows he's got to compensate for. That's pretty tough, Brother Chris. I mean, and Sister Helen has two rows behind her. And so you just, you got to make your voice known and you got to lift up your voice. I know some of you are fearful because the governor has said that we're not supposed to sing in church and all that. And so that's why you're not lifting up your voice because you're not sure who you should give your allegiance to. Let me tell you, if you're in the house of God, you're here to lift up the name of the Lord. So praise God. That's more like it. Where have y'all been? That's what. <laughs> praise God. Okay. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We're going to read this passage of Scripture, one verse. I want to say, uh, while you're turning there, it's been good to have Brother Anthony, Bishop Anthony, with us. He's from Nigeria. Had a chance to sit down and talk with him. He pastors a church of, I don't know, 300 plus. He's got branch works out of that church. He comes to the States to get a little bit of rest and relaxation every year. He has a childhood friend that is a doctor in town, I believe, and so he comes and spends some time uh, here, and he has not been able to get home. And so after a while, rest and relaxation becomes, <laughs> I'm separated from my family, my church, uh, although he's doing uh, what he can via uh, technology, we want, we want to pray that God opens up the door so that he's able to get home. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Brother David, uh, Brother David didn't know it, but he's an evangelist. As I, he got invited to go to a church somewhere, so he went to a church, and he happened to be on the same pew as Bishop Anthony. And so Bishop Anthony asked him, where do you go to church? So David gave him a church card, and Bishop Anthony told me he's an evangelist. So he's been coming to church for, for a, a while, ever since. Uh, <clears throat> If you don't know, does everybody remember Boca Haram? That the there was a period of time some years ago. It's an Islamic group that took a bunch of girls from a private school. Anybody remember that? Uh, this is a major, major deal in Nigeria. I just read today that there have been a lot of persecution against Christians in Nigeria that has not been reported. It has not gotten outside of Nigeria, and it's bad, really bad. Some put hashtags, send our girls home, and that made them feel good. But that's not enough. <laughs> a hashtag on Twitter is not enough. We need to pray for Nigeria. It is the most populated nation on the earth. Is that correct? Uh, the most black nation on the earth. most populated black nation on the earth. And uh, we want to pray that God's anointing and blessing would be upon Nigeria. Amen. And have appreciated establishing a relationship with uh, Anthony. And we're so glad that he is with us. And we want to pray that God gives him a way to get home. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's read together. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall. Everyone say shall. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going to speak for a few moments uh, tonight on the warp and the woof. The warp and the woof warp and the woof. So uh, do that with me. The warp and the woof. The warp is top to bottom and the woof is side to side. Amen. Let's talk about the warp and the woof. 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 For a few moments here. <laughs> Amen. Happy birthday, Priscilla. It's your birthday today. God bless you. Appreciate you. Amen. Sister Raquel is not going to have to have surgery. Doctor said that she does not have to have surgery. Uh, 
But like all doctors, all doctors, they say, you don't have to have surgery. You don't have to have your heart's going to get better. All these things get better. And then they say, but you need to go on a diet. <laughs> that's, that's it's like everything's connected to that. Right. So, amen. Praise God. You can be seated. God bless you. Warp and woof. I probably need to define this because some of you are trying to figure out what is the warp and what is a, a woof. And this guy's crazy. He's barking like a dog. And I mean, that church is just nuts. Uh, the warp and the woof have to do with the threads in a tapestry or a garment. And so the warp is the lengthwise threads. That's why I was telling you the warp and the woof. The warp is the lengthwise threads and the woof is the crosswise threads. That creates the texture of the fabric. The warp and the woof, people that make garments in the industry of making garments, they make it with the warp and the woof. And this is a term that some have picked up to describe a lot of different things. And tonight, I want to use the warp and the woof to describe our teaching or our doctrine. A suit may have a unique thread in it to give aesthetic texture, but the thread alone does not make it a suit. You have to have warp and woof that covers you into a garment. Now, all of you here tonight are dressed. Thank the Lord for that. Everybody clap your hands and praise God. That's because you selected a garment that was made of warp and woof, and you are clothed tonight in the house of God. You are not like the emperor that had no suit. We know this story. This was an old fable written a long time ago. Two swindlers arrived at the capital city of the emperor, and they <clears throat> spent a lot of time lavishly talking about uh, his clothes and what he could do. And so they posed as weavers and they offered to supply him with these magnificent clothes that are invisible, invisible to those who are stupid or incompetent. They could make these clothes that were invisible to those people that were stupid or incompetent. And so with a succession of officials, the emperor himself, he visited uh, to check their progress while they were making his clothes. And every time that he would go in, he would see these looms that they were supposed to be weaving these garments. And there'd be nothing on them, but he didn't want to be stupid or insignificant, and so he wouldn't say anything, and he would give them all kinds of, of feedback about how great they were doing, and they would report that we're getting closer. And so eventually, they dressed him. And when they dressed him, they weren't putting anything on him, but he didn't want to be stupid or incompetent, and so he didn't say anything. And then they had a procession out into the city. And the townsfolks, they were kind of uncomfortable to go along with the pretense, but nobody wanted to be stupid or incompetent, and so they didn't say anything until a small child said, when the crowd was very quiet, he said, he doesn't have any clothes on. And the emperor realized that he had no clothes on, but because he thought this garment was so uh, fashionable, he walked more proudly than ever. Your doctrine is either a tapestry with warp and woof, or it is a thread. And so tonight I'm, I'm picking this particular verse to talk to us about the garment of salvation that we wear, I want to tell you tonight, it is not a thread, but it is a beautiful garment that God has given to us, and we can be clothed with a garment of salvation. Why would anybody want to wear a thread? I've got some suits. This, this particular suit's just a blue suit, and it doesn't have any uh, tapestry or threads in it, but I've got some that are really nice, a blue uh, stripe or thread that runs through it, but I wouldn't want to wear just the blue stripe. I want the whole suit to go with it. And so our doctrine can be just like this illustration that I've given to you, and that is our doctrine should be a suit, a garment, instead of a thread. It's either a tapestry or it is a thread. This is why in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, the writer said, all scripture, everyone say all scripture, 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We derive our teaching from the word of God, and all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. You can't just take up a verse somewhere and make a doctrine out of it. It's got to be connected with more of the scripture so that you've got a tapestry with a warp and a woof instead of having a single strand or string. When one picks out a verse and builds a doctrine out of it, then they are picking it out and they are ignoring the whole warp and woof of the scripture. The tapestry, this Bible that we have is a tapestry. So whatever our doctrine is going to be, it's got to be a tapestry that's built out of all of the scripture. This verse that we have read here in the beginning, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, is a verse that we read alone, but it is connected to all of the scripture. There is, it's not, we didn't pull it out of a vacuum. When you pull something out of a vacuum, that means you are pulling something out of a space that is devoid of matter. Nobody is just arriving here in a vacuum. You're here, but you're connected to other people. And the other people that you are connected to is part of the tapestry of your life. Nobody walks in here with a string. Everybody walks in here with a tapestry because you're connected to people and people are connected to history and culture and context. And so that's what makes each and every one of us unique because we come from all kinds of different backgrounds and we make up a tapestry. Nobody is here with just a string. And so when you take a verse like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and we're plucking it out to read it as a text, it's connected to all of the scripture. And this is a major interpretive skill. This takes skill for an individual to say, I'm going to develop something for my life that is built on not just one verse, but built on the whole scripture. Amen. And when you, when you absorb and you delve into that and you dig deep into that, you're able to build a tapestry for your life. You're able to build a garment for your life that is of great value to you. Amen. And that was given to us at a great cost. You can't take a verse out of context with no understanding of the context. Now, what does that mean? Context means that... There is a time, a frame. If, if we look at the scripture, there's a literary context. Literary context. Somebody opens up the scripture. Some people that may not know about the scripture. Uh, and you want to have them look at the scripture, read the scripture. Don't send them to Leviticus or Numbers. <laughs> numbers. I read the Bible, but man, it was boring. It was all this begat, begat, begat. I don't know what's going on. Why do people get so caught up in that? Well, that's not the place you want to send them to because there's a context to that. Send them to a context that is more palatable that they can understand. So there's a literary context like the Gospels. That'd be a great place to start. The epistles. The epistles were written to the churches by Paul. Paul wrote most of the epistles. The writings. These would be the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Prophets. The apocalyptic would be like Revelation. There's some in Daniel. The apocalyptic is talking about end time things. Those are literary contexts. So that's a context. So when I open up the scripture, I know I'm opening up the scripture in a certain context. The gospels, that's a certain context. Not only is there a literary context, there's a historical context. That means in history, not only do you have the literary side of what we're reading, but you also have a historical context. So you have to go back and understand the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Babylonian captivity, the Egyptians, the children of Israel. Those are all historical contexts. They're connected to, they're not born out of a vacuum. They're connected into a time frame. 
And in that time frame, there was a culture and there were all kinds of things that happened in history. There were the rise of nations. There were key players surrounding that narrative that you are reading. And you have to, you have to take that and apply that in your focus when you're reading it. So you can't take a verse out of context. It's connected to other things around it. Is anybody listening here? This is Bible study tonight. Put on your thinking cap. I want you to think with me here for a little bit. So there's context. There's, a, there's not only a literary context and a historical context, but there's also a theological context. Okay, if this, this is the Gospels, then it's written in history, then what is the theological ramifications of what is being written for me today? That's a theological context. How does God interact with humanity within these contexts? This verse, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, is a deeply embedded treasure that in no way precludes itself from the rest of the scripture. It's not like we're just taking it out there and hanging it in space here. It's connected to the other scriptures. In fact, it anchors the very mission of God himself between what once was, what is going to be, and what is in the present. Jesus gave to the disciples an understanding that I am doing something different. I made a promise to Abraham. I elected Israel as a vehicle, and I am bringing a culmination to those promises in Israel. I'm doing something significant. That verse, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, is connected to everything else that Jesus is doing. It is not taken out of context, but it is integrated into the totality of Scripture. I'm thankful here tonight that we believe in that particular verse, and we also believe it is very, very connected to the rest of the Scripture. And it is absolutely important and valuable to us to follow, to teach, to preach, to believe, and to testify to other people that you need to repent, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you need to have the name applied to your life. That's connected to all the Scripture. So Jesus comes, and he's establishing a new thing, a culmination to Israel's history. That's, that's, that's a context. And he tells them a lot of fascinating things. For example, they held the temple in very high regard. Jesus said in John chapter 2 and verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, 46 years was this temple in building. Will you rear it up in three days? But he, st he spake of the temple of his body. He wasn't talking about a physical structure. He was saying, I'm going to become the temple. It's not a physical structure. And they had, a, they had a, a difficult time understanding that. Jesus was bringing to culmination those things that they trusted in so much, so much. The Sabbath, Jesus answered them in John chapter 7. He said, I've done one work and you all marvel. Moses gave you circumcision, and on the Sabbath day, you circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So Jesus was saying the Sabbath day has become so important to you that you'll circumcise somebody on the Sabbath day, which is the lesser work. But I have healed a man and made him whole and you're offended at the fact that I've healed and made him whole when you still do something that is a lesser work on the Sabbath, which is circumcision. Judge righteously, he said. I have come to be your Sabbath. And that was a problem with them. They couldn't understand that. Jesus said, I'm going to be your land. I'm going to be your identity. And, and there was even discussion about what kind of lamb that Jesus, the arrival of the lamb, what kind of lamb Jesus was in the context of all the scriptures, the warp and the woof, that land, that lamb could have been 
a Passover lamb. Passover lamb connects to what, what context? Anybody tell me that real quick? Let's just make this interactive here. Passover lamb was connected to what context? What, what historical context? What? Passover lamb, somebody. Brother Raymond, what? Passover lamb. Amen. So in Egypt, you had to have the blood applied to the doorposts of your house. So the lamb, what was it? The lamb, Jesus coming, is that a Passover lamb? Was he a sacrificial lamb? What context does the sacrificial lamb play a part in history? It's theological, theological, and also in history because when you went to worship, what did you have to bring with you? Some kind of a lamb, a turtle dove, a goat. That was a sacrificial lamb. So you had to bring something. So Jesus, when John said, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Was that the Passover lamb? Was that the sacrificial lamb? Was that the victorious lamb in Revelation that John the Revelator sees a victorious lamb? Or was it a suffering servant that comes as a lamb without blemish and without spot? Well, in every one of these cases, Jesus is the lamb. <laughs> in the context of all of that, he's the lamb. In every single context, he fulfills all of those understandings of what the lamb is because he was the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So that's warp and woof. That's all connected. And Jesus is definitely connected in this passage of Scripture. It is precisely why Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, sent the Holy Ghost to the church in order to fulfill his promise to Abraham. So this is just one verse. I know Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 is just one verse. But it's a key hinge point in a focus that tries to ascertain did Jesus Christ's death, the investment that he put in the cross, was it worth it? Because his death was for a purpose. His death was to send a mission into the world with a message to the world. So was his death worth it? So depending upon what the apostles were going to preach, that was going to become very, very important as to ascertain whether Jesus Christ died in vain or if he died knowing that the mission of God was going to go forward. And that is why Peter preached repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost because the foundation of the church that Jesus died for was built upon that particular message. I want to be a part of a church that's still preaching that message. If it was good enough in the first century church and if Jesus died for it, why wouldn't you preach the same message? Praise God. Praise God. There's a context. There is a huge spotlight on this verse. So much so that the angels desire to look into it. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7. There's a lot of good stuff in this passage of Scripture, so read along with me. I'm wanting to pull out one particular thing in it, but 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lot right there. Yes, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. <laughs> praise God. Whom, having not seen you love, in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Anybody got that here tonight? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Anybody thankful for salvation here tonight? Is the salvation of your souls. Your souls. Not somebody else's soul, but your soul. 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Here it is. Which things the angels desire to look into. The prophets prophesied. They searched. They preached. They were prophesying about what they didn't even receive but they could see it coming. They could see it coming down the road, and so they prophesied about it. They didn't receive the Holy Ghost, but they prophesied about the Holy Ghost. They searched it diligently. Hallelujah. Joel said, this is that which was prophesied. Hallelujah. I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days upon all flesh. This was something they lived their life for, and yet they never received the Holy Ghost. Do you know how, how, how much of a privilege we are to have received something that they never received themselves? They could see it, but they had never received it. And yet we're sitting here on church pews. Praise God. We've received it because the Holy Ghost was poured out upon us. And the angels inquired and wanted to look in on it. Heaven wanted to look in on this thing that Jesus was doing. And you and I are sitting here tonight. Hallelujah. We should be so very, very thankful that the Holy Ghost was poured out to us and we have received it. Individuals lost their lives, lived their lives for it, and never saw it. But you got it and you can have it. Hallelujah. And it's in your life. It empowers you. It strengthens you. It's a is within you. Is anybody thankful here tonight about the Holy Ghost? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So having said all of that, um, I want to talk about the warp, and then we'll talk about the whoop. Okay, so let's talk about the warp. The warp, which is the lengthwise threads in the fabric. Amen. Peter said, repent. That one word has a lot of power in it. It means a radical turning from self to God. Repentance. We're not just taking a verse like it's in some vacuum that's out of context, but in that one word right there. <laughs> Praise God. In that one word right there, there is so much theological content that goes from the very beginning all the way through the scripture. And yet here Peter is preaching it on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent. That is a turning away from self to God. When, when Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, he had to walk away from a lifestyle, walk away from a history, walk away from a lot of things and follow the promise of God. When the children of Israel was called out of Egypt, they had to leave, they had to put in action and walking away and walking out of Egypt. That is, that is one of the types of coming to God is that you gotta leave some things behind. You can't, you can't, uh, there were specific instructions about leaving Egypt and you were to take some things, but you couldn't be like, leaving Egypt and still wanting Egypt, you had to leave with a mighty, God was going to lead them out with a mighty hand, not a limited hand. He was going to prove that I'm going to lead you out with a mighty hand. And, and when you set your face toward the promised land, you can't be going toward the promised land and always looking back over your shoulder. That's not what repentance is. <laughs> repentance is not saying, I want to live for God. Boo, I really like this stuff here. I really want to live for God. Yeah, but I got all this stuff here. You got to come to the realization in the place like the children of Israel who said, Egypt is not where it is. We are walking into the promised land because God has got something better for us. Repentance is saying, I'm tired of the world and everything in the world. I don't want the addictions anymore, the dysfunction anymore.
anymore. I want something greater. And repentance is saying, I don't want my own will anymore because I've only made a mess out of my own will. But I want the will of God in my life. So I'm willing, I'm willing to find a place of repentance and say, God, I repent of every sin. I want you to wash me and cleanse me of everything that I've done wrong. Whether it has been small and insignificant or great, I want your blood to cover me and wash me. Repentance is tied in numbers to restitution. In other words, in the law, in the Old Testament, if a man or a woman committed a sin and that person was guilty, then they would confess their sin and recompense the trespass with the principle and add a fifth part. So let me just, let me, let me, let me put it into a, an illustration. If I was upset because my neighbor's cow got into my field through the fence and I was having a bad day, so I just killed the cow. <laughs> and then later, got to feeling bad about that trespass. Maybe my neighbor coming over and said, hey, uh, I got a cow by the name of Betsy. I haven't seen in a long time. Have you seen her? Oh, no. I, I haven't seen no cow around here. I've only got sheep. Okay. Right? It's a confrontation. Well, yeah, I came over here. I had a bad day, so I killed a cow. I'm sorry I killed a cow. I repent of killing a cow. So I'll give you a cow back, plus I'm going to add a calf with it. See? That's what, that's what repentance is. And it was connected to restitution. Not only did you, get, not only did you take care of the wrong because you defrauded your brother or sister, but you added a fifth part to it. Repent is part of the warp. It's part of the fabric of the entire scripture. This is one of the reasons why, man, it's really interesting. I'm telling you as a pastor working with people who find a place of repentance and they say, God, I, I want to change some things. I want to do some things differently. God starts working in their life. Well, guess what? There's a lot of consequences to sin. And sin is a hard taskmaster. Hard taskmaster. And so they will make things right and they'll they'll things will start to turn around and then all of a sudden they got a warrant out for their arrest. Yeah, but God, you forgave me. Couldn't you somehow take that off the record? No, that's not the way it works. There's some restitution that has to be connected to the repentance. Man, I've had to walk with people to the jail, stand there with them and wait for them to go through that door here on the other side. It's no fun. It's no fun. It's no fun. We, we've, had, we've had new converts, new babies in Christ come to God on the right track, going the right direction. Just recently, we've experienced this, and then somewhere out of the blue, it's really not out of the blue, but it's because of a lifestyle of decisions and choices that are made. There's a lot of stuff over here that we ignore when we're doing things our own way, and we think we can just keep hustling and keep doing what we're doing, but it's somewhere it catches up to us. And then there is restitution that has to be paid. Repentance is a walking away of, from, from a life and then saying, I don't care what I have to do to pay the price. I want to be right. I want to be right. If I got to go to jail, I'm going to jail. If I got to pay back some things, I'll pay back some things. Why? Because I want to be right before God. I want to have my spirit cleansed. I want a fresh start. I don't want to hang on stuff. I don't want stuff to crop up that should have been buried a long time ago. So repentance is connected to that fabric, that tapestry of the scripture. There's so much goodness. In Amos chapter 4 and verse 5, the Lord sends judgment so that the nation would return to him. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. It's repentance. Jonah's preaching to Nineveh was a great example of repentance. They, they, they had such a revival in Nineveh and repentance that even the animals 
fasted and were in sackcloth. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the day, babe? We, we walk in and we said, we're having revival. And we tell s'mores and Axel, and you're not getting anything to eat either because we're all fasting. I mean, even the animals got involved in that. You read it. It's, it says there. It makes such a point that it was not only humanity, but God was moving in such a way that even the dogs and the cats and the cows fasted for revival. Repentance. Praise God. John the Baptist, when he comes out of the wilderness and he's preaching a baptism of what? Repentance for the remission of sins. Zacchaeus, watch this in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 8. He said, Lord, that... Zacchaeus was a tax collector, so he was a cheat. He said, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore him fourfold. Jesus said, this day is salvation come to this house. Repentance. It's part of that fabric. It's part of that warp. The strands that run up and down. It's part of the fabric of salvation is a repentance. And I, I want to tell you something. Repentance is not a negative thing. Repentance is a positive thing. I'm not sure why we, it's associated with a death and so I get that. Repentance is associated with Jesus Christ's death. But there is nothing like being able to come and repent of some things and walk away and not have to carry that guilt and condemnation. I mean, if you carry that guilt and condemnation, it is a heavy weight upon you. There is nothing like being able to bow a knee and saying, God, I want to get rid of this. I repent of this. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said, every single day, I'm going to make sure that I'm right with God because I want the liberty and the freshness of not being under that weight. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 11. Paul gave to us the attitude of repentance. He said, you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Amen. Confession and repentance is a warp in the fabric of our text tonight that a person must forsake their own will because their own will does not work. There must be a recognition that there is a huge presence in the room that must be confronted, not soothed, not accommodated, not ignored, not explained away, but repented of. Churches need to preach repentance. They need to stop soothing sin, stop accommodating sin, stop ignoring sin, stop trying to explain it away, but preach it that there is a power in repentance. That's the warp. There's a warp there. That's a warp. There's also a warp in the second stage of that verse. Repent and what? Be baptized. Be baptized. How many? Every one of you. Amen. That is part of the warp. The removal of the sin that I've repented of. God removes the stuff that I got that I've acknowledged finally. God says you've finally acknowledged something. That's what repentance is because it's a death. And now we need to bury some things. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 20. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also what? Now save us. Baptism saves you as evidenced by Peter. Peter, the same Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Paul, when he was giving his testimony, Ananias told him, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul said to the Galatian church, for as many, chapter 3 and verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have what? 
put on Christ. The warp in the fabric is I've repented of my sins and I've been baptized in Jesus' name and I am clothed in Christ. I'm not walking around with one strand of thread. We didn't pick the doctrine of baptism with one strand of thread by one verse. We have the doctrine of baptism because the whole scripture is pointing to this passage of scripture from Noah all the way through the Old Testament to the opportunity when Peter is standing there and he says, repent and be baptized. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. Several baptisms. No? Okay. Just checking. Just checking. One Lord. One faith. What? One baptism. If there's one baptism, there's only one way to be baptized. You can't, you can't have, well, we got baptisms, but there's several baptisms. What was the way they were baptized? What was the way that Peter baptized? Peter said, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but what about Matthew chapter 28, verse 19? It's the same thing. Baptizing in the name the name, singular, the name, and then everything that follows modifies the name, right? I mean, when you are diagramming sentences there in the Abeka curriculum, name, and then you made that stuff underneath, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, all of those ofs were modifying the name. Well, what is the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost? What is the name? Well, Peter said it right here on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It's, can, it's the warp in the garment. This is why he said when you've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Well, I've been baptized. I don't think it's a necessity. Well, then you're walking around with a stream. You're walking around with no clothes on when you could be walking around with the garment of salvation. Praise God. Mm, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul is saying you got to be planted in the likeness of his death. If repentance is being planted in the likeness of his death, then being baptized is being planted in the likeness of his burial. Praise God. I'm talking about the warp. This is, the, this is from top to bottom. This is the warp that, that is part of the garment of salvation. Man. Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19. 2, 8, 10, 19. 2, 8, 10, 19. 2, 8, 10, 19. Everybody that was baptized in 2, 8, 10, 19 in the book of Acts were baptized in Jesus' name. If you know you got a Bible study right there. Because in Acts chapter 2, they were baptized in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 8, they were baptized in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 10, they were baptized in Jesus' name. And in Acts chapter 19, they were rebaptized out of John's baptism and baptized into Jesus' name. That's the warp of the garment. What are you clothed with? I'm clothed with the garment of salvation. I've got warp in the tapestry that runs from the top to the bottom. Repentance is important. And Baptism in Jesus' name is important. And I want to be clothed. 
How much of a value is that to you? I don't have a whole lot of things in this life, but I've got something of great, great value. I've got the garment of salvation. What price tag could you put on that? If you've repented and been baptized in Jesus' name, what price tag could you put on salvation? We are a blessed people in the house of God here. Hallelujah. You may not have two pennies to rub together, but if you are saved, sanctified, justified, you've got the garment of salvation, there is no way, there is no amount of money that you could ever put a price tag on that garment. Hallelujah. I'm talking about being thankful. Woo! For what Jesus has accomplished and the price that he paid so that I could receive it. Amen. I was very, very fascinated about what, what's the most expensive garment? <laughs> what's the most expensive garment that was ever purchased? So I did a little research. The warp's there. I said the warp's there in the tapestry. Let me just, before I get to that, let me just say Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 is a great passage. It says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. Who's your tailor? <laughs> Who's your tailor? Where'd you get those clothes? I got them from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Really? Wow, that's pretty interesting. What kind of a price was paid for that suit or that dress? A price called Calvary. He paid that price with his own blood. He died on Calvary, Golgotha's Hill, so that I could be clothed. Not in my righteousness, because my righteousness is as filthy rags. But he put a robe of righteousness on me. Amen. Well, back to my illustration, since you didn't really jump up and down about that. Uh, <clears throat> I looked for what was the garment that is the most expensive piece of clothing. Imagine that. I did a little research and found that the original garment cost $12,000 to make. But it sold in an auction in 1999 for, you ready for this? $1,267,500. Woo! That's a lot of money, buddy. That's a lot of money for a garment. Somebody's listening here. I haven't lost all of you. Praise God. Hallelujah! You want to know what it is? It's fascinating. It's Marilyn Monroe's Happy Birthday, Mr. President dress. $1,267,500. And the people that bought it said, we absolutely got a steal. There's not a whole lot to it. I can tell you that right now. It's not a full garment. <laughs> it's a strand of thread. This is the work. There's not much there million dollars you're going to pay for that? The world puts that kind of value on Marilyn Monroe's dress that she's saying to JFK and we come into the house of God. Oh, we, we've got clothes, but I, I'm talking about another kind of garment, right? We, 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 you shouldn't come in. You, you shouldn't be anywhere with your head down, just kind of, well, you know, I'm just walking around in cheap threads. No, you're not walking around in cheap threads, baby. You're walking around in a garment that has a value that is heavenly. Yeah, well, that's, that's the warp, but the woof is the great part because Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If the warp goes from the top to the bottom, then what goes from 
the left to the right is the woof. And it's not just a woof. It's a woof because there is a power that is connected to it. I want a dog that can bark. I don't want a dog that sounds like half of its esophagus is all cut off and this kind of thing. I want something that sounds powerful. And in this passage of scripture, Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, which is the warp. But there is a woof that takes place because Jesus Christ gives to you his spirit through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And there is a power that is connected and associated with it. It's the woof. You got the warp, but you also have the woof. You say, well, okay, you're talking about tapestry and garments and What's the connection then in the rest of the scripture? Because are you picking this out of a vacuum? No, I'm not. Because in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Joel prophesied what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell. Ezekiel said in chapter 36, verse 26, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. What did he say? I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to pour out my spirit and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. The woof is the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The woof is I am more than a conqueror. The woof is I've got a holy boldness in me. I've got a confidence in me. The woof is the spirit of truth. The woof is the advocate that steps up and defends me when the devil tries to tear me down. The woof is he has delivered to me greater things that can be done in my life. The woof is go and it's made possible by the impartation of his spirit in us. Praise God. Ephesians 4 and verse 6 says one God and father of all who's above all through all and The wolf's in you. <laughs> you got the word, but you also have the wolf, and the wolf is in you. It's the power of God's spirit and his anointing. Amen. We are more than conquerors. We don't come to church and feel the Holy Ghost just to feel good, but we have a boldness to speak the word of God. We have the Holy Ghost in us not just to get us by from week to week, but to be infused with confidence about his power and ability to execute his continuing mission. I need the Holy Ghost in my life to be a child of God. We need people that are filled with the Holy Ghost that have a confidence, not in pride and arrogance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a spiritual confidence that says to the devil, devil, it's not happening today. I saw a great caption. I saw some gal she had, instead of a mask, she put a, one of those little New Testament Bibles. She had, she had created her own mask. And it was one of those little New Testament, you know, New Testament Psalms things. Some of them are red, blue, black. And she had, she had side of it and then she had the mask on like this she had the bible over her face and it said the meme said not today devil Not today, devil. Why? Because I got the Holy Ghost inside of me, and I'm confident today that I can, I can be greater than what you are. I can live above where you're trying to drag me down. God is giving me wings to fly. I'm not down here waddling around with the rest of the ducks, but I'm an eagle, and I'm flying because the Holy Ghost is in my life. That's the kind of confidence that... You need a spiritual swagger. Kormasa and, and uh, Sumo, they, they, gave, they gave me an African cane. It's also a scepter. So <laughs> I guess a lot of kings need canes and they need scepters, so <laughs> it's both. So it's a cane, but it's an African king scepter. That you can. So they said, since you're 50, you can be king. You have, to, you have to be 50 before you can raise the scepter because you have to have some wisdom. But now that you're 50, you can. And, but it also can be a cane. 
And so I tried, I tried it out on him. I was seeing if I could, you know, I'm not used to walking with a cane, but I've seen some of those dudes with the hat on. They got the cane, and they'd be like, They're walking with swagger. We need, we need spiritual Christians with some Holy Ghost swagger. Come on, God put, he died and put his spirit in you so that you could take authority over things that would keep you in fear and doubt and unbelief. God put his anointing in you to make you greater so that you could be better, so that you could pursue the mission of God, so that you could testify about his goodness and his greatness. We got a small crowd here tonight, but I'm working on, Brother Condren is working on, I'll just let you in on a secret, I can't keep it to myself. working on something that looks like this, but it's beefier than this. And Kevin Condren is really, really, he's an artiste. He's not here tonight. <clears throat> so this, this whole thing, I'm going off on a tangent, but it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. This whole gavel thing just happened. I, there was no, I didn't ask for a gavel. Brother Brock just, he brought me and said, hey, I, I found this gavel. Would you like this? Yeah, that's great. I started pounding on the pulpit. <clears throat> And then some people said, hey, I don't think you should be pounding on the pulpit. You're dinging up the whole pulpit. So they, they made this thing. And then I, I had one of these, and it busted in half because I was hitting it too hard. And so then they made me one that was double stacked. Three. It's three. Three stacked, and it works pretty good. Uh, and so it just it was kind of organic, right? The gavel, the organic. And so he's making the side pulpit and then he's making something else that goes right here and it's 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 going to be smaller than that but it comes up with the, this this right here on the top of it right Can this be done that, that when I hit that, what is this called? Does anybody know what this is called? This is a gavel, but this is what? Brian K. Graves. That's not what it's called. This is my neighbor. <laughs> that when you hit the gavel, it connects to the trigger, and it's felt through the subs. So when I hit that, you're going to feel it. So Brother Stewart, he was here. He said, well, how, how hard do you want that to be felt? I said, I don't know. I need to watch the person that's asleep. <laughs> then when I hit that, if it wakes them up, that's the right. You're going to see it, and you're going to feel it. We need some. How did I get off on that? Holy Ghost swagger. Holy Ghost in operation in your life. Kind of like, I love this quote. Muhammad Ali in 1974, before he faced George Foreman, gave us this gem. He said, I'm bad. I've been chopping trees. I've done something new for this fight. I done wrestled with an alligator. That's right. I done tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. That's bad. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized the brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. Fast, fast, fast. Last night I cut the light off in my bedroom, hit the switch, was in the bed before the room was dark. All you chumps are going to bow when I whoop him, all of you. I know you got him. I know you got him picked, but the man's in trouble. I'm going to show you how great I am. I'm talking about spiritual fortitude and Holy Ghost swagger that looks the devil in the face and says, 
It's not your victory because God has already won the victory. <laughs> no weapon formed against me shall prosper because God is on my side. And if God's on my side, who can be against me? I'm talking about that kind of woof, 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 woof. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. I've gone an hour. I got. I got to wrap this up. Brother Lukowski, just come up here, and play a little uh, music. I, I don't need any musicians. I mean, I don't need any singers, but I need one musician, and you would be the one musician. So, <laughs> you could come help me out here. Repentance is a tapestry. It's the work. Baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. Man, there is so much pack. When you start unpacking Acts chapter two and verse thirty-eight. It, it, it covers the entirety of the entire scripture. And then the greatest thing that you can find in that passage of scripture is when Peter said, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Why is that significant? Because when you say in Jesus' name, you cannot separate his identity, his presence, and his power from his name. So when you say in Jesus' name, his power is connected to that name. There's a lot of woof in that name. Hallelujah. There's a lot of woof in that name. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is strength in that name. There is salvation in that name. As we stand together tonight, there is redemption in that name. There is power in that name. There's authority in that name. There's healing in that name. There's deliverance in that name. There is victory in that name. There is hope in that name. There is joy in that name. There is peace in that name. There's holiness in that name. There's glory in the name that is above every name. I'm not going to take his name in vain, but I'm going to speak his name in faith. When you find yourself wandering around in the desert, speak the name of Jesus. When you find yourself backed up against the wall and in a corner, speak the name of Jesus. When you find yourself sick and you don't have anyone to turn to, speak the name of Jesus because in that name, there is strength. He's wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace Prince of peace man 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 it's not just a single thread it is a tapestry of incredible craftsmanship what would you pay what would you pay for the garment of salvation mm. one man in comparison to the kingdom of God found the pearl a great price. He went out and sold everything that he had so that he could buy the field. And the pearl of great price was in the field. Praise God. What price would there be to pay? Amen. The last scripture tonight is 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 which says for as much as you know you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Gold, silver, money can't buy what you and I are clothed with tonight or can be clothed with tonight. Put on the garment of salvation. Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord right now for God's greatness and his goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. You have put together a tapestry of incredible craftsmanship. We're not walking around here clothed with single threads, but you have provided to us a warp and a woof of a garment. Hallelujah. We're clothed not in robes of unrighteousness, but we are clothed. Hallelujah, with a robe of righteousness that was paid.
paid in blood at Calvary that washes and cleanses, that is still effective today. We give to you thanks and we praise you and we magnify your name. Come on, let's thank him together. I love you, Lord. I thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. I worship you. I exalt you. I give to you adoration. I give to you thanks. Amen. I praise your great, great name. In Jesus' name we pray. God has given you warp and he's given you woof. Amen. And the message is still powerful and still effective today. If you need to repent of your sins, you can find a place of repentance. If you need to be baptized, you can be baptized in Jesus' name. If you need the Holy Ghost, you can pursue and seek the Holy Ghost, and God will fill you with his presence and with his spirit. Amen. Let's pray for those individuals right now seeking the Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you and praise you. I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit. It is a gift. Amen. And there are those that are seeking after you. If happily you might be found, we pray together right now. Your spirit can fall in a car, at home, a prayer closet, at church, anywhere. I pray that you would pour it out in Jesus' name. We give to you thanks and we praise you. Do it in a way to where there is no doubt. There is no doubt that you have given to us a great, great promise. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We need to pray for a very special prayer request. This comes from Brother McAllister. I believe this is a co-worker, Clara Alvarez and the Alatori family. I may be mispronouncing that, but this is the 13-year-old daughter that was sexually assaulted and murdered. And it appears to be an unfortunate, fatal connection with social media. And this family is suffering greatly in our community. This is a recent story that I heard today even. 